you build a community around your product. They're the ones that are the first to tell you when something is off the rails for what they expected or when there's a need that's unmet, but they're also the first then to be your customer support. You are listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series, where James Robert uncovers and explores some of the industry's biggest digital marketing and sales stories of success. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello, I am James Robert Lay and welcome to episode 218 of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series and I'm excited to welcome Una Rokita to the show. Una is the CEO and co-founder of Lance, the first smart business banking account for the self-employed and I'm excited to share her story of growth with you today. Welcome to the show, Una. It is so good to share time with you. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited about our conversation today. It has been a long time coming for sure. And before we get into your digital growth journey and the good work that you are doing over at Lance, what is good for you right now, personally or professionally? It's your pick to get started. Oh, I am really enjoying um, getting back into the health circuit uh, in terms of training. Um Jumped into my first marathon of the year in June and have another one coming um, and just signed up for a metric bike ride with a friend too. So I'm trying to really keep that balance between work and health. <laughs> so I'm not that far behind you. I've got a couple of marathons behind me, but you know, my wife and I, we have four kids. And so she told me, she said, no more marathons till they get a little bit older because as you know, those long weekend runs <laughs> leading up to it. Oh Yeah. So I said, I agreed, but I, I need something to work towards. So I'll get back into a half and then uh, I'm 40. And so my next big, big health goal, fitness goal, half Ironman. Um, oh man, I'll be right there with you. <laughs> well, let's do it. Let's do it together. Yeah. So my, my, plan on that. my sister-in-law, she's done um, a couple of halves over the years. Probably, I think she's done maybe four or five at this point. And then my brother-in-law, he's gone all out into the full Ironman spectrum. Oof. A couple here in the States, one down in Mexico. So I love it because there's such a connection and correlation between, as we were talking before you we were recording, like health, wealth, well-being, or as you have on your Instagram, health, wealth, joy, right? It's, it's yep. all interconnected. And, and that's where I want to bring this back into just your own digital growth journey, um, your own story, going back to 2018 when you launched Lance. And, and what was the inspiration? Why did you decide to go down this path to start the first smart business banking account for the self-employed when you come from outside of the industry? What's the why? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was a big, strong why of my own personal frustration. <laughs> um, I, uh, like you we were talking about earlier, just don't come from the finance industry. And uh, my parents themselves were artists, so really did not uh, give me any sort of coaching uh, as a young adult. You know, they've got a lot of other skills, but financial management was not one of them, especially coming into this country from another, you know, they didn't more familiar with the disciplines, let alone all the retirement planning that goes into, you know, managing your your future financial health here. 
And as I worked for myself with a number of startups and coaching them in PR and marketing as a freelancer, I found that the, you know, irregular conversations with an accountant um, or those mm. that were more tax related really weren't doing it for me in terms of uh, staying on top of my finances and kind of playing around with the metrics. I mean, we have a, a common interest in terms of our athletic endeavors. When I was a either a collegiate swimmer or now training for marathons, I could play around with my workouts and figure out how to reach my goals. Yep. And I feel like you can do some of that on your finances. And we certainly have kind of budgeting apps and the like, but there's nothing to really play around in the palm of your hand in an app, in a banking setting, even, you know, how to address multiple income streams, how to appropriately invest in different needs along the way. And that's really what started kind of the conversations with friends of mine in 2018, surveying people. I got excited kind of, you know, incorporating the company because I know that it was a great idea um, to kick off. And then it's really evolved into the last year of becoming a neo banking platform that does all those things. Well, it's, you know, and I think that's the, the key lesson to be gained here. Number one, it took some time. Um, and I yeah. think like any great endeavor, whether it's, you know, training for a marathon, you know, preparing for a, a, an Ironman, it takes time leading up to the point to start that race. But then once you start the race, the race is really only just beginning. And so there's a lot of, I think, mindset that goes into this. And I appreciate the perspective of, you know, looking at ways that we can continue to, just like we can optimize our health or our training performance, we can optimize our financial performance as well. I want to stay kind of in this you know past to present concept just for a bit because when you launch this um it's and it is a neo bank it is a neo platform and i'm greatly appreciative of the work that you're doing because it's i think it is important work it's a meaningful work what have been some of the biggest lessons that you have learned along the way going back from like moment of conception to really getting this up and running and inviting people in yeah, I think there have been a few and I was I was thinking about before we, you know, hit record a few of those lessons. I think the first is really digging into something you're passionate about. I think that can't be overstated. There aren't any overnight successes when you're, you know, launching a startup, great idea. And so it has to be something that you wake up excited about every morning and, you know, that you're committed to. And, and the closer it is to a personal need, I think the more that you can keep referencing that or referencing people that you actually know um, that need that kind of solution. And, you know, following closely on that is, you know, chase those high expectation customers, those HXCs as they are known in the right. startup space, right? Um, you know, it's more valuable than ever, especially in today's market to focus on a niche audience yep. that is going to have those high expectations. And then by default is also going to be part of building that solution with you and even paying for that solution ahead of you having built it <laughs> fully. I think that that's really what, you know, communities and investors are going to look for today. And it's something that we focused in on. You know, we certainly market ourselves to freelancers, independent workers, the self-employed, but, you look at who we're building for, who we're attracting. It's people that are very much in the middle class and highly scalable. And we have certain um, you know, terms that we uh, reference for that type of audience. So really going big, going small before you go big mm. is, is a thorough 
you know, uh, approach, we think. Um, and then getting paid before you've fully built. I think that uh, a lot of startups are going to go through that learning, especially right. in the next two years as the, there's these recession current concerns. As, as you're talking through a couple of, of, of key words stood out in my mind. Number one, you mentioned niche or, or niche. You mentioned community. And then also, I want to come maybe bring this back to your background of marketing. How how do you think that has influenced you? Your just marketing background, your way of looking at things maybe a little bit differently than traditional financial services, because I'm hearing Alison Netzer in my mind with her book that's about to come out, Think Like a Brand, Not a Bank. It's it's just like alarm bells are going off. What role has this maybe a marketing first perspective to growth played for you in this journey here? Yeah, I think that there's been two standout ways we've really presented ourselves um, differently than a lot of other neobanks and frankly, than a lot of accountants would in this space because our neobanking aspirations are really to help people with their accounting and their wealth management. Yep. Um, and, you know, the first is really be thoughtful about the brand, about the presentation, try to stand out, try to, you know, be really accessible to people. And so we took almost a, a gamified approach or game-like even presentation. You look at our website, you look at our app, it is, you know, repeatedly gets the comments of being super slick and exciting to play with um, and, and go into on a daily basis. And then two is we really leaned into being active kind of spokespeople in the space and talking directly with people. So even from the earliest days, I was doing webinars and uh, workshops and stuff, even with groups of 20, 30 people at a time about their finances, about how to get on top of them. And, you know, not only were those great kind of focus groups for us as a company, yeah. but they were a way for people to feel how invested we were in the space and how much we expect to grow with them over the course of time. What, what role do you think, your focus around a niche of freelancers has played in this journey so far? Because like you said, you got to go small before you can go big or to use the words of Dan Sullivan, you need to simplify before you multiply. Where are the opportunities? Maybe where have the opportunities been for you here first? And then second, when thinking about other financial brands, I think they tend to shy away from niche. So let's start with you first, then we'll come back to the larger financial brand conversation here. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so in terms of our niche, we really focused on people, like I said, that are middle class. We put it in terms of income because we find that independents kind of will work multiple jobs at once. And those jobs aren't always aligned with one particular vertical, if right. you will, like being a food truck vendor or a coffee roaster or a DJ. Um, but rather people will partner those jobs with different skills and interests even. Uh, you know, I like the word that swims around in the space of being multi-passionate, mm. right? And so what we focused on is more so where can we be the most relevant with an app that helps organize your finances? It's likely not to be for low-income gig workers, right, that are really, um, you know, dependent on marketplaces, nor is it likely to be highly relevant for, you know, high six-figure earners who are perhaps a doctor or lawyer and defaulting to just hiring an accountant, right? Right. So our sweet spot is going to be with those folks that are making $50,000 to $150,000 a year, maybe scaling quickly sure. from that point, but 
are really confused about which patchwork quilt of tools they should be using. And right. instead they can just use Lance from yep. day one. Yeah. And how, how has this, we'll call it focus helped to, and I think it's important to note for the dear listener, uh, visit lance.app and you'll see the positioning here um, and, and how niche provides something. And this is in your primary area of, of, of focus in your navigation. It's called community. Um, yeah. This is really about building a community or there's a fantastic book on the subject called The Business of Belonging. When you have this level of focus it does allow you to build a community as a almost a, a moat, if you will, to to invite people in through the drawbridge, but then also kind of build a protective uh, stance in, in, in the marketplace, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I think that this is uh, something that people are still trying to wrap their arms around today, right? There's great organizations that are focused on community building and coaching of professionals. You know, I was fortunate to work with um, some fantastic leaders in this space at HoneyBook, uh, you know, one of our, the portfolio companies of the VC I worked at. And, you know, this really does become a moat over time, right? You build a community uh, around your product. They're the ones that are the first to tell you when something is off the rails for what they expected um, or when there's a need that's unmet. But they're also the first then to be your customer support right? Mm -hmm. When people have questions about how to use your product and to come to your defense, if you've been really open and transparent and working closely with them. And so, you know, it, it goes both ways. I think that you have to be careful that you really engage people in a way that, that makes sense and to be transparent about things. But if you're willing to be those things with a community, um, then, you know, it, it, it's invaluable. I want to come back to the larger market perspective here of maybe other financial brands. We'll call them incumbent banks, incumbent credit unions. I was just speaking about the potential for, you know, growing through focuses or, or, or foci around niches because the idea of community goes beyond the physical boundaries of zip codes and, and borders, but it's really, it's more of, a, you know, where it resides in people's minds, their, their values, their likes, uh, their tastes, their preferences, what are opportunities to build financial brands, quote unquote, through a focus of niche? You know, I, I'm a big fan of, of podcasts as a way to learn about communities. Um, I think that, you know, they're one of the best ways to really hear the words of various communities, especially in the fintech space around kind of goals that people have or ways that they're approaching their finances. Um, I think Twitter can be an okay vehicle for that as well, but you often don't get the color and the richness of hearing people's voices. I think similarly, YouTube is where you can get um, and, and observe kind of communities at work and, and conversing with one another. And, you know, I think that there is uh, a number, there are a number of distinctions here around how people gravitate towards how they're working, um, you know, the, the types of jobs that they're working, um, what their goals are over the course of their lifetime. I mean, I think one of the most interesting examples of this recently has been the whole finance community's approach yes. towards uh, slow-fi, low-fi, you know, high-fi 
and and really thinking about how people want to acquire wealth and at what rate. Yep. Right. And uh, and now you're seeing this proliferation of different terms around that, but really uh, the terms hold a lot of weight for those communities of people, right? You see teachers gravitating towards one terminology versus doctors and lawyers gravitating towards another. And then you see a whole ecosystem of accountants now addressing those different approaches and desires and timelines. Yeah, and it's interesting as as you're speaking through this about just the, the, these different approaches. You know, there's the whole fire movement of financial independence, retire early. I, I think for the dear listener, um, whether you're at a bank, a credit union, a fintech, a, a fantastic community to plug into here is FinCon uh, or FinConExpo.com. Um, and look, just you know, go to the website and you can take a look at all of the different. Uh, speakers and the literally the community that they're building of independent quote unquote financial leaders who have no affinity but they have you know, they've built audiences um, they've built communities around particular points of view. I even think about uh, Chad Willardson, who is the author of Smart Not Spoiled, who's been a guest on the podcast, The Seven Money Skills Kids Must Master Before Leaving the Nest, um, and how he has teamed up to launch a a, a neo called gravy stack and so we're seeing all of like you said accountants and just different people from outside of the industry financial advisors who are solving for very niche pain points but they're building communities to learn from and then take that knowledge turn it around to create products and paths forward that that are prescriptions and cures to solving common pain problems causing common people pain what might some of the roadblocks be um that that you've dealt with on your own digital growth journey to get lance to where it is today thinking back to to 2018 yeah i think that you know we were just talking about niches but there are different points at which ourselves and 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 certainly other kind of banking platforms have struggled with that freemium versus subscription Mm. you know where do you side on that um, you know, how do you keep yourself open enough to capture different types of people that may have, you know, different uh, applications or visions of how they might use you? Um, and I think, you know, m- much to the comment that you just made around kind of objectives driven banking, I think that is kind of the next iteration of all of this yep. and an iteration that, you know, banking platforms or neo banking um, platforms should really. Um, approach with open arms, right? And I think it does cause a central tension around, you know, uh, adopting an objectives-driven approach, but then knowing that some percentage of your customer base will shift over to other solutions. And that's okay. I think that, you know, you have to be comfortable with having really strong retention for those people that will continue to have the same objectives year over year. And then some portion of those will shift into another banking platform as their goals evolve. Mm. Um, But I think there's been this unhealthy kind of focus on scaling and growing at all costs, which is now catching up with the industry, right? Yes, it is. Um, and, And I think, you know, very transparently, we've had a slower growth trajectory, but the balance of that is that we've had almost 
no churn within our entire system, right? It's low single digits, it's been below 3% since our launch, right? That's unheard of in this space, but it's because we've been so focused on servicing those people that we've had in our system, keeping the fraud low and continuing to grow at a more predictable, stable rate. Digital growth is a journey from good to great, but sometimes this journey can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming. The good news is you don't have to take this journey alone because now you can join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs who are all learning, collaborating, and growing together. Visit digitalgrowth.com insider to learn more about how you can join the Digital Growth Insider community to maximize your future digital growth potential. Now, back to the show. On that note of of churn or slow or no churn, I think about the conversation that I had with Joey Coleman, who wrote a fantastic book called Never Lose a Customer. And it is this idea, it's very expensive to acquire a new customer, but it makes a tremendous amount of sense to slow things down, focus on retention, because as I wrote about in Banking on Digital Growth, the banker strategy circle, B-A-N-C-E-R, build an audience, attract uh, leads, nurture those leads with content and automation, convert those leads for loans and deposits, expand the relationship by delighting accounts, but then most importantly, repeat that process through reviews, through ratings, through referrals, because people still trust people. And when you build a community, you're literally building a baked in referral system that will you know, pay dividends over time going forward. Another area that I want to focus on, and I think a lot of it is a benefit of focusing around niche, is collaboration um, and, and, and how collaboration allows you to work alongside others. And I think this requires a, a bit of a, of a mindset rooted in abundance versus, say, the traditional view in financial services, which is very competitive, and that takes us down a negative path of scarcity. But if we look at the world through abundance, how have you been able to to work together um, to team up with others who share a similar view? I know that you teamed up with Abound to kick off a, a collaborative initiative, Independent Economy Council. Can you give some perspective into what this is and how the idea of collaboration, of community, all really starts to come together here? Exactly to your point around abundance. I think that there are more than enough customers, right, <laughs> in the fintech space. <laughs> um, you're looking at the entire population of, say, the U.S. or internationally. I mean, there's more than enough flow, money flowing into these um, great ideas that different companies are having. I think, you know, when you're grounded in a growing need like we are with the future of work how are people going to continue working for themselves and in continuously iterative ways then your mindset isn't just about how do i capture all of these people for their entire lifetime which is an impossibility right but it shifts more to how do i help people continue develop and evolve developing and evolving and how do i create a resource that's great for them How do we collectively in the fintech space or beyond support people's growth and then benefit from it in a way that's aligned? And so what Trent and I worked on with Abound is, you know, through an early conversation talking about just how poorly mapped 
the future of work is, right? If you go to any conference or look online around the future of work, what you find is a number of, you know, consortiums and events and summits about how large cubicles should be, how should hot desks work, right? <laughs> Topics like this, right? And, and certainly there was a proliferation of those during COVID that then turned into webinars around retention of employees and whatnot. When the fundamental question is really, how are we tracking productivity and how yeah. antiquated is that model? Right. Yeah. And, you know, how poorly were we really tracking people's engagement and productivity through yes. COVID where it was inherently remote and where people are inherently valuing more of a remote model that allows for them to work and live kind of in time blocks throughout their day and their week. And so what Trent and I started talking about is let's collect more CEOs and companies and constituent groups like Freelancers Union and others to really have a more 360 degree conversation about how people are shifting how they work. What are the priorities in terms of how they're working? How much more, frankly, are they making across different job types? How much more fulfilled and productive are they across different job types or even chapters of their lives? Yeah. And how do we quantify those things yeah. right mm. and yeah. i think that that's become increasingly important and fortunately we've been able to collect a number of ceos and organizations around that we just released a report last month we'll be having annual as well as quarterly ones and creating resources for people so that they can more actively kind of understand the role that they can have in determining their future yeah and once again you know just another conversation to, to kind of connect this back for the dear listener Joe Polizzi, we were talking through when he re-released Content Inc. Um, I mean, this is a massive market opportunity because when you think about the freelancer or the quote-unquote creator economy, it's made up of over 50 million independent creators, content curators. Two million would say that they're making six-figure salaries. So, I mean, it's it's massive. But I think what, what you shared, it's important to come back to because people are going to move in, people are going to move out. Um, the the day and I and I shared this at the conference in Vegas last week uh, when I was talking about niche. The days of the PFI are dead. Um, this idea that you know you're going to be all things to all people. I, I I think it's a pipe dream now. And if you're if you're if you're hoping on that, it's false hope. Which is where once again I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for incumbents to start you know, looking beyond competition with the NEOs to really begin thinking about collaboration. And I know you've been doing that with a, with, with a quote-unquote traditional financial brand. What has that experience been like? Because once again, I think these are a lot of uncharted waters for, we'll call them incumbents or maybe even community financial brands. And there there's a very select few right now who are thinking beyond traditional growth of, you know, working within the local community. But then now those select few are saying, ah, we could partner, we can collaborate with NEOs to kind of provide all of the back end. We'll let them run all of the front stage experience. We'll be the backstage. What has that experience been like for you in this journey? Yeah, I think that it's been, um, you know, largely positive, but also a bit hit or miss right, with different um, partners that we've looked at along the way. I, I would say largely positive because we've been really proactive in terms of articulating what we'd like, 
where we'd like points of flexibility because we just don't know yet uh, what people's needs are. And, you know, there have been some partners that have been more open to that. I think that there is a tremendous amount of fear from incumbents in today's space. And I think to some point, appropriately around fraud and kind of this low cost of acquisition that we've seen the last couple of years, that some neobanks and some kind of newer options have really taken advantage of, but to the detriment of, you know, having a more compliant or, um, you know, stable bases. Uh, But I do think to your point, there's a huge benefit to neobanks and kind of newer players and incumbents working really well together, right? There's always going to be a need for a stable system um, and, and one that is mindful of compliance, that is, uh, you know, well-equipped for all the regulatory needs in this country and abroad. I mean, we've seen the need of need for that, uh, you know, uh, uh, in, in multiples today with yes. all that's going in crypto, yes. right? Uh, <laughs> we're seeing the need for a regulatory environment so that people who are close to retirement are losing their life savings on a silver bullet that they were looking for, right? Um but I think the value that neobanking platforms or, you know, financial health apps can provide is really that incredible layer of marketing and virality and education that we've been talking about since, you know, the history of finance, fintech services and what we'd like to do. Right. But shifting that onus off of consumers to learn every discipline of finance but more so look at their finances and their goals and apply them towards an app that can help them map towards their goals more readily. This idea of financial guidance, um, whether it be app-based or maybe it's a mix of app, automation, AI, tie in some humanity, community into this, where are some of those opportunities? Because I think this brings our conversation almost full circle back to, you know, coming from a background of sports and fitness coaching, right? It's like, you know, we have coaches to optimize our performance and sometimes it might be a human coach and that human coach provides a bit of accountability and positive or negative motivation, depending on upon how you spin it. But then there, there, <laughs> there are also things like, for example, I'm wearing my Garmin right now, my Garmin watch that, that I use to track runs and other, you know, data points, uh, you know, recovery times and, and whatnot. So there's that idea of, of asynchronous, you know, automated AI coaching, but, but where could there be potential opportunities, whether you are an incumbent or a fintech or a neobank, uh, to bring coaching as a core competency, human-based, uh, AI-based, maybe a hybrid of both? What does that look like, kind of just getting some future thoughts from you, bringing the future, if you will, into the present moment for just a bit? Yeah, I think this is... A a tremendous question, especially in light of how much uh, certain incumbents are investing in uh, coaches and uh, accountants and really broadening out their workforces, uh, especially over the summer. There were some great announcements in Mm -hmm. terms of Fidelity, Bank of America, a number of others kind of uh, looking to hire tens of thousands of financial coaches. Um, But what I think they're still struggling to understand, and this is from my humble opinion, is is the benefit of layers, yes, integratable layers, right? Uh, you just talked about your fitness and the watch, and I've got a similar model in terms of 
slices of my watch, my Strava, you know, and now paying for a coach with my training towards a marathon. And I think we need to apply a similar model to finance, right? And that those different layers can work in tandem Mm. and that we can apply them more or less in different chapters of our lives, right? Right. There's going to be more of a similar to athletic pursuits approach towards finance where you may want to have that full-time job while you are a new parent or caring for somebody in your life or straight out of college. And then there will likely be years of your life where you would like to work more remotely because it allows for you to travel or, you know, invest more time in a hobby or a burgeoning idea of yours and then dip back in. And I think that those chapters are going to be iterative and they will need more or less use of different layers. And I think that's something that we really haven't gotten comfortable with yet in the fintech space, right? Mm. Is that layering of, yes, I will always need a custodial banking layer of sorts to hold my deposits and to feel stable about that and to have those insured. And then I will want a layer of digitization that acts almost like a CFO in my back pocket for the business of me, right? Right. Reid Hoffman's written a book years ago about the startup of you. And I think that we are finally starting to really see the scalability of ourselves through all these marketplaces and tools, whether it's Squarespace, Shopify, or whatever. And then I think there's also, to your point, that person that you want to pick up the phone with maybe once a quarter or once a year, whatever's relevant to you, feels comfortable and just review your stats. Right. And I think, you know, this is also happening in the health stack health tech space is this need for layering. And I think we should be thinking about these things more intuitively and almost pushing all of these resources and these tools through this ongoing conversation about which layers are most relevant to myself and then how do they integrate and lean on each other at different points? Uh, you know, you, you talk about the layering and I think, uh, I, I, I think about the, the Lance, triangle and have you have the different layers there so that's just one thing that kind of comes top of mind but but then I think about my sister-in-law and her her triathlon or her Ironman training um and how she she has her Garmin that that connects into Garmin Connect which then all of that data gets ported into her coach to where she does have you know regularly scheduled whether they be in person or remote uh conversations and and it's really it's like I say a lot of the coaching is more than, and, and that's where I think financial brands are falling short today. Is there's so much of an emphasis on financial quote unquote literacy and financial education, and I'm like that doesn't change behavior. That doesn't change like the the core yeah. beliefs that we have about ourselves, uh, about our, our the way that we view our relationship with money. I mean, all of that's rooted in family of origin, environment, our upbringing. And the way that we have to transform that is is our basic belief structures. That's where I think the coaching comes back into play to have those dialogues, that conversation. I'm so encouraged by what the financial gym out of New York has been able to do and build an entire, entire business model around that. And so, you know, if, if you think about all of this, you know, bringing it all back together and just knowing what you know now, if you could go back to 2018 – and just maybe I, I don't like to say do things differently because I believe everything that we've done to this point has been for a reason. But if you could optimize just one thing in your own journey to do even better, what would that one thing be that you would just 
not do different, but I would say just optimize. Yeah, I think that we've always had a great onboarding flow digitally, but I would make that more hands-on. Mm. What we've found, to your point about the financial gym out of New York um, and coaching, is that people do like that touch. Um, and, you know, we've been working on that in our onboarding process now, but that phone call from somebody to check in, and we did that more recently, just this last spring um, and, and going forward is just call people once they've signed up with us and say, hey, how's it going? What's confusing? What's helpful? Um, and we've even started doing those in group settings, right? So it doesn't feel like that one-on-one questionnaire where somebody feels like they need to have the, the answers or the questions themselves, but they can you know, listen to others and then layer on with additional um, needs or highlights as well. And I think it's that group setting. It's almost like group coaching, you know, potential to continue because you're basically welcoming a cohort of sorts. And that cohort, exactly. if if they are like-minded, you know, coming from a, a freelancer background, a creator background, so there's a common bond already established there, well, you start to bring them together once a quarter and they're able to, this has worked for me and this is what, what I did and here's what, what I think I could do better. Oh, I have an idea over here. It's a, it's a collective consciousness that just continues to increase the more that they share and, and, and you become nothing more than a facilitator of, of, of their thinking and then they're learning and all growing together and we're all getting better because of that. As you look ahead towards the future of, of we'll just call it financial services as a whole, what are you feeling most hopeful energetic, optimized about? I, uh, it just goes to the name of this podcast, but just the ability for growth uh, that we have access to today Mm. uh, on an individual basis and as a collective is remarkable, right? Never before have we had so much access that's at our fingertips. Um, You know, as long as you've got Wi-Fi and a phone or laptop or something um and there's there's no shortage of lending options to afford for those as well um but um but as long as you've got that you know the sky's the limit and you can really apply apply your ideas and thought processes to scaling yourself and growing your ideas into tangible uh products and and opportunities um and then monetizing those i think we're just at the earliest stages of people really monetizing all of their interests and their hobbies and their passions. Yes. And if anything, it's, it's an exercise in focus for us individually and just doing short-term testing projects. I wish that, you know, uh, or my hope is that everyone kind of reads a product manual of sorts on quick iteration testing uh, and then applies it to their everyday life to really learn how to test things out, drop them quickly if they're not working and move on to the next so I'm actually writing to that subject in my second book titled Banking on Change. Um, and the subtitle Great is title. Yeah. How to Maximize Growth in the Age of AI. Uh, because, you know, if you think about all of the digital transformation we've been seeing within the financial services space and, and in other verticals too, 60 to 85% of those initiatives either fail or fail to deliver meet expectations not because of the technology it's it's the humanity involved in that and i think where transformation begins is not at an organizational level but it begins from within it begins with the self 
and then that then gets multiplied to the team and then from the team comes out to the organization and then the organization that spills over into the community which is where the idea of, of niche and focus there like you said there's an abundance of opportunity um and and a great book on that subject is abundance the future is better than you think by peter diamandis and and, and stephen kotler you know because i think it's so easy to get bogged down in the here and the now and the doom and the gloom which is why uh in banking on change i have a model that i'm i'm writing to make sure that you have your morning tea or have your daily tea Uh, how are you investing your time what are you spending your energy on and then what are you paying attention to? Those three things, time, energy, and attention, will directly impact how you continue to move forward, either you know from an exponential perspective or kind of keep you stuck in the present moment or, or even worse, just pull you down into a very negative place, negative state of being. Looking ahead, let's, let's bring all of this down to one thesis, one point of view for the dear listener because we've touched on a lot of different things that they can do. What's one thing that you would recommend that they commit to do next? The next best step that they can take on their own digital growth journey based upon everything that we have discussed today? It's a great question to land on. And I was just thinking as we were talking is that what is uniquely human is the ability to ask great questions. Love it. (laughs) And so I think that's what I would land on is that only you can apply yourself in in terms of asking yourself really great questions in terms of how you want to grow, how you're able to scale yourself Mm. um, and, and what your goals are in life. You know, what do you, how do you want to live? If the sky's the limit and there's no blockers, uh, I was just listening to Colin O'Brady in a podcast and I think, you know, kept reinforcing that point. There were no hurdles ahead of you. What would you do? Yeah. Here's and, and I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the dear listener just two more mental models to maybe take forward. When you ask questions, because there's acronyms that are all over digital growthopia, because it's the only way that this entrepreneurial ADD mind can keep <laughs> things straight. So I I follow an acronyms as as mental models. Ask. When you ask yeah. a really good question, what are you doing? Whether it's to yourself or to someone else, you're always seeking knowledge. That's really when you ask a question, you're always seeking knowledge. So always be the yeah. student. And sometimes you'll be the student. Sometimes you'll be the teacher. But there, there's always a lesson to be learned from either perspective. And then when it comes to goals, I just did a podcast about this because, you know, as, as we look ahead towards the future, that doesn't necessarily seem it might seem a little bit confusing and, and, and conflicted and maybe there's some chaos. But if we can get really clear of how we want to grow going forward. What are our goals, the roadblocks that stand in the way of them, and then most importantly, the opportunities to begin to overcome those roadblocks to achieve those goals. Back to your point, the sky really is the limit in this age of AI, in this exponential age. Una, this has been just a fantastic, energetic conversation. Thank you for sharing time with me today. What is the best way for someone who's listening to reach out say hello, connect with you, learn from you. Absolutely. I'm, I can be found on Twitter at O-Rokita, O-R-O-K-Y-T-A, um, on Instagram, Una Rokita, and um, shoot me an email if, if the need uh, arises, Una at Lance.app. And thanks so much for having me. This has been a great conversation, as expected. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for joining me, Una. Connect with her, learn from her, grow with Una. 
Until next time, and as always, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. To get even more practical and proven insights along with coaching and guidance, visit digitalgrowth.com insider to join a community of growth-minded marketing and sales leaders from financial brands and fintechs. Until next time, be well and do good.